Welcome back to our podcast, Pursuing Justice. I had mentioned that we had changed our name because there we discovered there's an, another podcast that's Pursuit of Justice. So now we are just pursuing justice. I am Harriet Hendel. Our series this time has been focused on a case of wrongful conviction, which took place back in 1976 in Jacksonville, Florida. Two men were involved, an uncle and his nephew, Clifford Williams Jr. and his nephew, Hubert Nathan Myers. These two men were incarcerated for 43 years for a crime they did not commit. Two key players, the new Conviction Integrity Unit based in Jacksonville and the Innocence Project of Florida based in Tallahassee, worked together to prove their innocence. In March of 2019, the men were exonerated. Just a little note here, I am on the board of directors of the Innocence Project of Florida. Today, I will be speaking to Krista Dolan, one of two lawyers at the Innocence Project of Florida who represented Nathan Myers. Welcome, Krista. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Harriet. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Can you tell us how you came to work at the Innocence Project of Florida? Sure. Actually, I took a post-conviction remedies class in law school with Seth, the executive director and the other attorney here. Uh, the first year he taught it while I was in law school. And that kind of gave me the exposure to post-conviction work, which I then did in Kentucky for uh, almost six years. And I was looking to move back to Florida. My family is here and I wanted to return. And it just kind of was fortuitous that at the same time I was coming back, uh, the longtime attorney who had been working here, Melissa Montel, she was leaving. And uh, Seth, you know, knew I had the post-conviction experience and the exposure and reached out and, you know, talked about interviewing me and, you know, it all unfolded from there. All right. Why did you choose this line of work as opposed to another area of the law? I really enjoy post-conviction work. I think it's a better opportunity to look at some of the systemic problems in the system. Um, I think it's kind of the best of both worlds. You get to have individual client work and you know work with individuals and get to know them and their stories. But the cases you work on have the capacity for larger scale change, which is something that really appeals to me. And that's what got me interested in post-conviction work and innocence work in particular. Mm, thank you. What do you find is most challenging about your job? That's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> many challenges on a daily basis, but I think, you know, probably one of the most frustrating things um, is, you know, procedural hurdles in our court system. Um, once an individual has been convicted, no matter how strong the evidence may be of innocence, um, the the procedures in place to kind of keep the conviction standing are difficult to 
um, fight against. And so I, you know, I find that to be one of the most challenging aspects of the job when, you know, you have a very strong case and strong evidence of innocence that, you know, you think may be a slam dunk and um, you're met with resistance in the courts or by uh, the state. And, you know, that's, that's frustrating. You have to be patient. I, I so often hear our executive director, Seth Miller, who you mentioned, speak at board meetings about the challenges that face uh, him. And, and I, I hear him talk about uh, going back into court. So you have to be very patient and understand how the system works and works, work within it. Um, what I wanted to ask you next was if you'd share with us your role of representing Mr. Myers and how you worked with the Conviction Integrity Unit to prove Mr. Myers' innocence. Sure. So I it was lucky enough to get to work on Mr. Myers' case and be a part of you know this new developing um, these developing relationships with Conviction Integrity Units around the state. And uh, Shelly had actually reached out to Seth, and obviously being a staff attorney here, I, I became involved as well. And our role was really that, you know, the state attorney's office had done all this really great work on really digging to uh, uncover um, all this evidence of innocence for Mr. Myers and had decided they wanted to grant relief but needed a mechanism to do so, um, you know, in Florida, it's not very common. You know, the state isn't typically like the moving party to vacate a conviction. And uh, being the Innocence Project of Florida and being post-conviction attorneys, that's our area of expertise. And so, you know, she immediately thought of us. And um, you know, we spent some time, Seth and I, brainstorming what we thought would be the mechanism to file a motion to vacate his conviction. And um, created that motion and drafted that and, you know, reviewed the whole case and, of course, met with uh, Mr. Myers and, um, you know, represented him on that motion. I see. Did you feel confident at the outset in taking on this case of wrongful conviction? I guess, in essence, you didn't take it on. That was probably more the domain of the Conviction Integrity uh, Review Unit. But did you feel confident in any case um, stepping into this case of wrongful conviction? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, what we what we do on a day to day basis. Uh, you know, we're quite comfortable uh, taking large volumes of material and working through it quickly. And, you know, that was the challenge with this case is that, you know, the Conviction Integrity Unit had already been working on it for some time and, you know, they wanted to get things done quickly. And so we were um you know, kind of turned our attention full time to to digging into this case and getting this motion written for him. I see. Um, so often when I speak about the Innocence Project of Florida, which I do um, all winter in Sarasota, people ask me, well, how does the project know which cases to take? Because I know you get over a thousand letters per year asking for help and you certainly cannot take all those cases. Um, how sure. do you, how do you determine? And, and when people ask me that, I, I, I don't have an answer. How do you determine out of all the letters that come in, 
which case to take and which not. And if, if say, Mr. Myers had written to you and there were no um, uh, conviction integrity unit, how would you have felt about taking this case? Would you have had any doubts? So, you know, there's a difference between doubts about their claims and then having, um, or let me say there's a difference between having confidence in their claims or thinking there's good claims of innocence and mm -hmm. um, having a way to pursue those claims. So, I mean, without the Conviction Integrity Unit, which is part of the reason they started to form, um, Mr. Myers had already been, you know, essentially procedurally barred in the courts. Um, he'd already gone through all of his remedies, you know, which going back to your earlier question about frustrations, that mm -hmm. is a point of frustration. You know, we have many cases come through and you can, you know, see a claim that might otherwise be, you know, very good claim of innocence. But if, you know, they don't meet all these certain uh, procedural requirements to go into court, you know, we can only take cases where we can prove their claims of innocence and where we have a remedy available to them. If there right. isn't a remedy, we can't take the case. So that's kind of a big screening point is, you know, whether we have an ability to litigate it in court. And, you know, it's a case like Mr. Myers, we wouldn't have had the ability to litigate it in court. It was really the um, Conviction Integrity Unit's involvement that made this exoneration possible, hmm. um, which is why they're so important and why there's more and more forming throughout the state. It's, you know, an avenue where, you know, they've already been failed in the courts and, you know, this gives them, um, another chance to to have this evidence heard. Now, I, I've read a lot about the case. Um, Nicholas Kristoff uh, wrote a very strong piece uh, about it in the New York Times. Um, you talk about um, the fact that he had kind of been down the road trying to appeal uh, his case, and I read that those appeals failed. Why, why did that happen? And then the Conviction Integrity Unit steps in and you step in and the case um, is, is won. What happened along the way that his attempts to gain his freedom failed? Oh, that's such a complicated question, and I wish there okay. was a really straightforward <laughs> answer. Sorry um, about that. You know, there's so many reasons. I, you know, one of the big reasons is, you know, prisoners don't have access to the same resources. They are inside. So if That's they're true. saying, you know, so-and-so is going to say this about my case, um, you know, they don't have the ability to go track that person down and interview them and talk to them. You know, that we as attorneys and investigators have that ability to do. Um, I mean, that's a part of it. You know, another part is that they're writing all these motions pro se. They're not necessarily um, articulating their claims and the, the way that they need to be written so that the court will understand what they're asking for and understand what they're saying. I, um, I mean, there's many reasons. Um, I, I can't say for sure. You know, sometimes the courts don't always give reasons or explanations. Um, I, I, I can't say for sure why they were unsuccessful before, but I can say that, you know, the likelihood of success is much, much higher when the state is on board and when, um, you know, they agree there's been an injustice and that's really what gave, gave us the ability here to, you know, to, to work on this case. Um, it, that was kind of the basis for our motion, you know, with newly discovered evidence 
And, you know, a part of that was that the state had a change in their position. They no longer thought the case was, um, you know, worthy of prosecution. And so that was kind of, you know, a, a fundamental change in position, which we thought warranted relief. I see. Were there barriers for your role along the way? I would think maybe that was that might be a question to ask uh, the director of the Conviction Integrity Unit. But um, were there any barriers along the way for you or for the Innocence Project of Florida? Not, not in a sense of you know what we might normally be used to. We already had the state in agreement which is, you know, something that isn't that common. And, um, you know, that was something that was really helpful to us. But I think, you know, the only real barriers were that it was so new and kind of just navigating the system of how we go about this. I see. Um, when you take on a case like this, are you working on this one exclusively or are you juggling other cases simultaneously? Uh, I, so for this one, we, you know, really turned most of our attention to this because we were trying to meet, you know, a deadline that we wanted to get to court. But typically, I mean, we're, we're juggling. We're always juggling multiple cases and some get, um, you know, a little more attention if they have a deadline coming up and others. So, you know, we're always kind of, juggling, but some take priority at certain times, depending on, you know, what's going on in their case. Um, knowing there are only, there, is this correct? There are only two lawyers. You mentioned there was another attorney um, on staff. Aren't there only two lawyers, Krista, on staff? Y yes, it's two, two lawyers, but Seth also serves as executive director. So I'm the only one who's uh, full-time, full-time devoted to litigation. I see. I see. Um, how, how many cases um, does the Innocence Project of Florida take on and litigate at the, you know, at the same time? How many cases uh, are being so, worked uh, on? Right now we have 30 open cases. Oh my. So, you know, but not all of them you know, some of them are waiting for orders. Some of them um, are, you know, they're just pending. So, but I there's see. 30 that are active that are currently in, in some form of litigation. That's quite a bit. That's quite a bit. And, and of sure. course, the, the time each one takes, um, some take years and some much shorter than others. Uh, it's, it's truly, truly a juggling act. Um, how does the Innocence Project of Florida help a man like Nathan Myers, who was just 18 when he went to prison and is now 61 once he is free? Is that the end of the role of the Innocence Project of Florida? Oh, not at all. Uh, we have a full-time social worker, Anthony Scott, um, who is vital to our mission here. Uh, he does a lot of exoneree support. It's, you know, kind of the end of the litigation role to some extent, although in Mr. Meyer's case in particular, of course, we're working on, you know, compensation for him. So we still have some ongoing litigation for him as well. But um, Anthony works with uh, clients, you know, both while they are incarcerated and then post-incarceration to help them reintegrate into society, help, 
you know, with any uh, job placement, with getting, you know, just the basic setup, getting an ID, getting a social security card, you know, getting those basics put in place so that you can move forward. Driver's licenses, right, as well? Yep. yep. All those things. Um, how um, unusual is it for an innocence project to have a full-time social worker? Uh, to my knowledge, and, you know, this may be a better question for, for Seth, but it's it's fairly, uh, I think it's, you know, some have them, some don't. I don't know that it's common, but I don't know that it's quite rare either. <laughs> so I think it's kind of a mixed a mixed okay. bag. I think a number of projects use social workers, mm-hmm. um, but I don't, I don't have specific numbers. Okay. okay. Well, it's a wonderful addition to the staff to have someone uh, there once the person is free. Uh, the challenges they face are many, and uh, Anthony Scott does a, a, a wonderful job. Um, there was one thing that I wanted to ask you um, as we close out our our time together, and that is um, the issue of compensation. People who are Mm -hmm. listening to um, our podcast may not realize even what that word means as it's tied to a wrongful conviction. Can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Florida law provides for compensation for individuals who have been wrongfully incarcerated. There are a lot of uh, procedural hurdles to that, but the, the gist of it is that uh, if they meet certain requirements, you know, which can be very burdensome requirements, uh, they are eligible for $50,000 per every year of wrongful incarceration, uh, but that is capped at $2 million. So for someone like Mr. Myers, who served 42 and a half years, mm-hmm. um, that's already exceeds the cap. So he doesn't mm-hmm. actually get the, get the entire compensation to which he would be entitled otherwise. Um, and then there's some other hurdles, uh, not, not for Mr. Myers. Mr. Myers was eligible under the statute, but the statute has uh, something called a clean hands provision, which if you have a prior violent felony conviction unrelated to your you know, wrongful incarceration or two felony convictions of any kind, you're not eligible for compensation under the statute. So um, as you're aware, you know, he was convicted with his uncle Clifford, who did have, he, he was he was older, as you said, Nathan was only 18, his uncle Clifford was older, and he did have prior felonies. And so even though those felonies are, you know, more than 40 years old, in fact, they were from, you know, the 60s, he is mm. not eligible for compensation, uh, um, even though, you know, he and he and uh, Nathan are very similarly situated. Mm-hmm. And in terms of other states, you talk about what Florida does. Um, does every state um, have a compensation law or statute? No, not every state does. The vast majority of states have some form Um you know, Florida is the only state that has uh, this clean hands provision. Um, mm-hmm. Most states don't have that kind of restriction, but every state's compensation law is a little bit different, has different, you know, requirements. But most states, I'm not sure if it's all, but most have a compensation statute, to my I knowledge. Think, I think uh, from what I've read, thir- about 30 states do and about 20 do not. 
Um, that know, sounds right. That sounds yeah, right. I know Texas. More do, more do than don't. Right. Texas uh, is out in front with $80,000 per year for compensation. And then there are states that give so very, very little. So there's a huge range of uh, what a person might be given. Uh, there's no that's uniformity. Right. There's there's very little uniformity. All right, that's, that's great right. because I, I think um, I think uh, people don't realize that there is such a thing as compensation. And uh, so often, when I talk about the Innocence Project of Florida, uh, people will say, "Oh, that's a tremendous amount of money." If we take, say, um, Nathan uh, and I always ask people the question when they say that, which would you prefer, the years or the money? And of course, everybody says, yes, I would prefer the years. Of course. Because you can't of get course. those back. Yeah. So, uh, but it, I, I would like to see uh, every state have something in terms of compensation. Uh, and and maybe, so would I. Know, maybe we will. Maybe we will in time. Who knows? Well, we are. You know, I think something else people should take into account with yeah. the compensation is that you know the cost of incarceration. You know, it's, you're, they're paying for that on a annual basis. So that's right. That's just right. Just like an additional point to that. And and I think too, what we don't often talk about is while the innocent person is sitting in prison, the guilty person is out there somewhere, and and that that's absolutely right. That to me is the irony. I don't know if I, what I would call it, but it, it's a very sad fact um, in so many cases of wrongful conviction. Well, I really appreciate the time you've given us today, uh, Krista. It certainly you'll shine. Uh, you'll be able to shine a light on on this particular case. And we've already interviewed uh, Shelley Thibodeau, who is the director of the uh, con new Conviction Integrity Unit. Um, and the other guest that we plan to interview is Nathan Myers himself. So we are hoping yeah. that we will uh, be able to do that very, very soon. Uh, thank you once again for your time today. And I hope our list you've given our listeners something to think about. Um, this is Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Thank you for spending some time with us today, uh, listeners, and we hope that you will return to hear the uh, next podcast.